we never like stressed about it, but now both of us have been out of work since officially since July, but I mm. lost one of my jobs in March. Mm. So you were bartending, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was bartending. And then I had just started working at a nonprofit, mm. uh, but only part-time. Yeah. So then I'd worked at the place where I was bartending for a couple of years. Unfortunately, they closed permanently, like almost right away. Wow. Um, and then I started at the nonprofit. I was working part-time. I was basically like the secretary or like the, I guess, receptionist, but I was sort of like a program uh, program manager too. Cause by being like the secretary, I watched over the program. Yeah, you wore many um, hats there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there were only like five or six people that worked there mm -hmm. um, officially at least. Well, that's what happens at these places, right? Is they like yeah. spread so people really thin. So you got paid like a secretary, but you had the responsibilities. Of yeah, the yeah I, I got paid Weird. like a couple bucks over minimum wage for mm. like, I think I worked, God, let me do the math here. It was like, uh, like half time, right? So like, I think I was working like between probably 25 hours a week or something like that. And then once the pandemic hit, which was like a month or two after I started, uh, once the pandemic hit, everything changed because we couldn't have people inside. We couldn't do anything. So I literally just made like, sandwiches and unloaded pallets and stuff for like four or five months and then I realized uh you know how everybody's unemployment was all fucked up yeah um well first of all I was really not happy working there but also I realized that by working there the little money that I was earning was completely canceling out my other unemployment and so I was netting yeah. zero dollars oh shit <laughs> So I was like, um, I'm going to like not risk getting COVID for this, like, in my opinion, kind of stupid organization. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was like really weird anyways, but, um, but yeah. Uh, well, that, but it gave, it, it gave you sort of a insight into how fucked up oh, nonprofits are, right? Yeah. That, and like, that I was feel gonna bad. Like, I, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, well, no, no. I was, I was, my main question to you was going to be like, how did you, um, <laughs> gain this yeah. insight on the nonprofit industrial complex? Um, um, I mean, I think I already knew some of it before I started, but I think I just wanted to help. Um, and then I also wanted to get out of the restaurant industry because I wanted to work during the day while my kids went to school. Mm -hmm. So I, I was I was like sending my kids to kindergarten and stuff, and then I'd come home and go to work. I mean, they'd uh, come home and I'd go to work. And so yeah. I was like, oh, I should work during the day. I can relate so, to that too. I, I was a bartender. I worked in the restaurant industry for many yeah. years. And you do, you, you get jealous of people who work normal, nor, quote unquote, normal yeah. hours. Yeah, because there's nothing to do yeah. during the day. <laughs> right, right. Right. Well, yeah. So, and, and like before that, it was great because my husband would work one shift and then he'd come home and watch the kids and I'd work the next shift, right? So we didn't have to have a nanny or something. <laughs> like when they're really little. And then mm -hmm. they started going to school and I was like, um, I should probably be working while my kids are at school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause I never see them. So right. I was trying to make that transition. So there's plenty of money and we were like strapped for cash all the time at the nonprofit. And I'm like, this feels really dumb. <laughs> it's so backwards, right? Yeah, it's really fucked up. Well, we're talking it, it we're talking to somebody out. who's like risen, you know, in the in the uh, ranks of Twitter 
so rapidly. <laughs> like we're talking Who, to me? we're talking to the picture of Twitter meritocracy right now. Like you just like yeah, I didn't know that. I in oh, my opinion, I just, yeah. I just post my stream of consciousness online. I know. I remember when Alex was like, "Oh, Kelgor is hilarious," and he's like, "Oh, Kelgor follows you." I'm so jealous, and I was like, "Oh, what? Hold on. <laughs> like, I'm really right. bad that's at right. I'm really bad at following people. Hold on." <laughs> <laughs> No, that's all right. You know, I don't want to. No, mess I'm up gonna what we follow have. you. <laughs> now I'm gonna oh be all God. self-conscious when I post. Kelgor is a. Is... Oh yeah, you you really gotta look out for me. Kelgor is a. Oh my God, I, I totally did not Twitter realize poster. I didn't follow you. Now I feel like a dick. No, your 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 comedy career on Twitter is really good. Like, oh my god, I don't have a comedy career. On wasn't there that one that one? Comedian? My husband thinks my husband thinks I'm a big deal because I'll be like, oh yeah, like this post just got like a hundred thousand likes, which is only it's only happened like three times. That's only happened like three times. But he like for a day, he's like all like, oh my god, how's your post doing? Uh, <laughs> it's because you steal all the jokes. Yeah, didn't I you get- steal? Yeah, that's how you do it. Didn't that one that one comedian lady come after you and she's like, you stole my cast iron skillet joke or something? I, I stole what is probably the least original thought of all time. <laughs> it's like if I posted like, um, uh, more like Donald Fart or something, right? And like someone's like, I made that same joke in 2016. <laughs> like here's a she's like here's a recording of me making that joke at like they fucking like it was like the laugh factory or something and mm-hmm. i was like why are you admitting this yeah <laughs> i want to get the the listeners uh, caught up to speed here so oh, on september 27th kelgore tweeted oh, God. He's men be treating their bed sheets like a damn cast iron pan <laughs> and it got uh, 160,000 likes 10,000 retweets and then the same day, someone wrote, hey, this is pretty awkward. I'm not trying to blow up your spot, but I'm a stand-up comedian. And this is word for word verbatim, my joke that I've been performing in my set for over two years. I wanted to message you privately, but your account doesn't allow for DMs. Oh, man. <laughs> I was sleeping, too. I woke up to this. <laughs> yeah. No, it's such a funny situation, isn't it? Because I feel bad for that person. Because like, I know that feeling of like, oh God, somebody else is getting the clout that I deserve. And like, but I'm yeah. sure, you, sure you didn't do it on purpose. Like, I, your like not only did I not do it on purpose, but like, like I said, like, oh, it, what's funny is way before she wrote that, like 10 people wrote back, I forget the guy's name, but somebody else had done either it was like in a show or in a comedy set and they were basically talking about like seasoning their sheets like a pan uh-huh. and I was like oh fuck like and I'd never heard of the guy so I don't think it was because I heard of it I think it's just because like cast iron pans are kind of a meme and yeah. like dudes not washing their ass are kind of a meme <laughs> and like yeah. I I we wash our sheets it's not like I was like laying next to my husband and was like <laughs> fuck he's so gross like so and so, but I got a lot of comments being like you guys let men that are trash you know, like live at your house or whatever. And I was like, oh my dude, God. I, I'm not talking about like my sheets. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, well, that that's... was a weird day. And I was like, this isn't even that funny. And like a lot of people were like DMing me being like, oh, like, did you steal that joke? And I was like, no. Well, that's like, this, we're, we're in never... such a weird time now with comedy, right? Because yeah, everyone just does it for free well yeah (laughs) we're all creating content all day long on like twitter Mm -hmm. and all these platforms um and then there's 
the competition between people gets so cutthroat because we're all vying for like the same crumbs at this point, right? Mm -hmm. The crumbs are just these likes. We're, it's not even, it's not even like money. It's not even financial, like think, you know, assets that we yeah. can like use to secure material needs for ourselves. It's, it's the, can it's this social capital that we all have to deal in. I know that's the, that's why like a couple of weeks ago, I started doing YouTube because I'm like, that's the only way I'm ever going to hopefully make a little bit of money off of uh, doing this yeah because i mean maybe but like like if i just keep tweeting nothing's i'm never gonna get paid for that i'm like if i'm sitting at home all the time unemployed i might as well like try to make some videos right <laughs> totally totally i mean so. yeah it's tough it's like it's the uber gig economy but for creative people right it's just yeah how can we the, the system now incentivizes us to take all that angst and energy and, and push it into their platforms. And the only chance that we ever have of like getting anything out of it is just by like sort of groveling and playing the game and, and playing into these fandom dynamics and, and hoping that we can sort of build up a, a Patreon off of it. And yeah, and it sucks. And it, it's, it's, we have less power than ever as workers. I think like um, creative labor is really sort of misunderstood and undervalued uh, in our yeah. society. And people say, oh, we need, we need um, clothing and food and housing and all these like material things are very understood as needs, but um, art and um, all, and, and all these like sort of, products that like fill fill our souls and our minds yeah. we need those too just as much and um, the one thing that seems yeah. cool about like creating online at least or at least in maybe in the last 10 years I don't know about in the future is that it's un unlike that like you were just talking about like nepotism and Hollywood and stuff and films like really anyone yeah. can at least be like you know a little bit well known or something if they like really you know if they find their niche or something yeah but not to say that there isn't like still nepotism and stuff that online like i mm -hmm. think that's what like blue check twitter is right totally totally <laughs> but like i think that it is possible to like grow a sort of like a you know group of people that all you know have similar views or something or enjoy similar content and it is kind of interesting that you know that's that's a possibility now where it I think a lot of people who wanted to create content like 10, 20 years ago, they're like, but I don't know anybody. How am yeah. I ever going to break into it? I also think that like, we're going into our, probably our first year, full, like first year where there's not going to be any new TV other than like this, like masked mm -hmm. singer shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I don't know about that, but like, like none of your favorite TV shows are going to be on this year. Even if you got a, a la like a season last year that was delayed. Yeah. Um, there's such a need for people to make content right now. And so there's like this, basically like this void that needs filling for yeah. people to watch stuff or, you know, educational stuff or entertainment, whatever it is. And so I think hopefully people really kind of um, like, like latch on to that. I'm waiting for like a cable company to reach out to like, you know, <laughs> some big YouTube channel and be like, can we syndicate your content and put it on cable? Because yeah. we don't have anything to air. <laughs> Well, That's I mean, what happened with uh, John Krasinski and the, the good news stuff. 
Oh uh, God. He, he followed all that. And they were like, uh, <laughs> they gave John Krasinski got the ultimate like handsome guy grift going because yeah. he had this like yeah, CIA this really fucking... basic idea. It was just like, oh, I'm gonna say some good news on YouTube. And then CBS <laughs> is like, hey, you don't have to do the show anymore, but we're gonna give you a couple million dollars just for the idea of good news. And then John Krasinski's like, oh, wonderful. I'm so glad. <laughs> or there's like on. the fucking, uh, what's her name? Sarah, something, the Trump lip sync, Sarah. Sarah, not Sarah Palin. It's not Campbell. It's like, it's anyways, but you know what I'm talking about. She lip syncs yeah. Donald Trump videos. <laughs> oh, I don't even know about this. Isn't uh, it with a <laughs> last name with a P or something? Not Palin, but I don't know. Let's see. Sarah Lipsync. Yeah, I'll probably find it. Sarah Trump. Cooper. Sarah Cooper. Sarah Cooper. Okay. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah Cooper. Cooper. So she so she like <laughs> takes Trump videos and she just lip syncs what he's saying with like the funny facial expressions. She got like a network TV, like late night show type thing. Wow. But that was like, oh, yeah. I feel like she got that TV show like one freaking week before the election. And it's like, dude, now you're out of work. <laughs> yeah. She she needs a new uh, a new grind yeah. right a new yep. niche. Do you guys watch like the Amber Ruffin one? I haven't I, I haven't watched that, but she's usually pretty funny. She's always on like Drunk History and stuff. Um, maybe that's better one, <laughs> but I don't watch anything like that. I feel so out of the loop here. Well, that's the thing too is that there's so many different content content streams that it's like yeah. you could totally be in your own like. I only watch Peacock. just that's the only one i subscribe to actually i don't think you can subscribe to it didn't that's you you have to have cable right i guess yeah it's got to be is that why you Um, you subscribe to it no i don't really subscribe to it i don't have cable (laughs) oh yeah yeah we don't have cable either we just yeah you have to subscribe to like 20 different things now just to get like content it's all and yet it's it's still cheaper than cable i think to to get like all the subscription things yeah because cable is up to like what 80 bucks a month just for $7, like thousand dollars <laughs> yeah seven million how much could it possibly dollars. cost after fees um yeah <laughs> they like charge you to to mail you a bill yeah, right <laughs> um but anyways we were talking about nonprofits. uh my big question is i guess like I said, I, I was having a tough time working at the nonprofit I was working at, which was really short-lived, but that's kind of how I am. Like once I decide we're breaking up, it's over, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> once I see the light. Um, but I, uh, I searched online and I was like, why are nonprofits so stupid? <laughs> yeah. And all I could find was like, why your nonprofit isn't bringing in enough fundraising or whatever, right? Yeah. And I, all I could find was things about like, Susan G. Komen scandal, right? And, and and anything negative was really, really hard to find. And then, and then it, I think it was like right around the time, when did you guys start making Space Commune videos? Um, I, I started making videos in uh, like the end of the summer of 2019. And I started with like an art okay. washing slash gentrification video. I'm really slow to make videos though. A lot of people just like start pumping out content. It, it, it takes me like three months at well, least. Well, because this would have been like probably spring or summer of yeah. 2020. So yeah, I guess you probably already out. had, yeah, okay, gotcha. So I think I remember it being like, I think this is like a new video. And another slice was mm-hmm. releasing his nonprofit 
um, the problem with nonprofits mm -hmm. series. And I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for the next one. Like I need to know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I like, I did a lot of this research and I found a couple of you guys making videos and I was like, dang, why aren't more people talking about this? And that's my big question is like, and I know like you guys have talked about it, like a lot of leftist and like DSA people too try to talk about um, uh, like mutual aid as a, as a replacement. But I don't really see a lot of people like dissecting or analyzing nonprofits from yeah. like a leftist viewpoint, like at all. Yeah. And it, that's so how are we that, going to make this a thing? <laughs> that's like the essential question, right? It's yeah. like, why aren't people talking about it? And I can like guess, I could take some yeah. stabs, but obviously like I'm just one person and. Okay. Well, like what's one reason maybe that you think? <laughs> well, I think that. And I think you, you've explained in your video too, how this is an industry, you know, these are, it's like yeah. a business now. So you sort of, um, enter into this and you, you're like, I see problems in the world. How can I help? And nonprofits are like ready and waiting to sort of collect, you know, users collect, um, enrollment because those are their metrics for success yeah. as, as a business. Um, and they have to operate, like you said in your video as a business, so in order to secure funding, they have to show these like engagement metrics. So um, people are, the net is already right there to catch people. And then what happens is when people do um, donate their time and energy into something that they feel is fulfilling themselves um, outside of just wage labor, they're saying, I'm doing this because this is what mm -hmm. I care about. I feel, feel fulfilled. I want to add to the world. I want to contribute there's, there's something that happens. It's kind of like a drug effect that happens and people yeah. get sort of like intoxicated by this idea. And then what happens is, is that kind of shields them from being able to be critical about this thing where they've now had this sort of almost religious kind of experience of, oh my God, I, I like helped some, you know, I helped in a soup kitchen. I, I, I fixed somebody's brake light and it made me feel really good. And now yeah. you're telling me that that's bad. It's replaced church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what's interesting? I just thought of while you were saying that is that I think a lot of times the volunteers, at least from my experience, the volunteers almost seem to do more of the meaningful work than anyone. And I yeah. that might be by design because like, no one wants to volunteer to do like the dumb businessy parts of it, right? right? Like the like boring, like, uh, oh, wow, this doesn't really seem to be that effective type work. They want the volunteers to do this like Jesus work, right? Yeah. Like, uh -huh. oh, wow, like I feel so good about this. I'm going to come back. I loved this. And they, I think really like that sort of work, the like community facing work is usually doing the most like impactful sort of stuff like the actual person feeding in the like in the soup kitchen feeding mm -hmm. people is making in my opinion a bigger difference than like the director <laughs> oh yeah of course like and in terms of just helping other people the director makes like ninety thousand yeah. dollars to <laughs> to like send out yeah. emails yeah i don't there are, are there are like certain limitations right but then they can do like bonuses or how does that work do you guys know i like kind of forget I think they can get paid anything. I mean, I think. I thought there were certain limit. I thought there were limitations on it, but then I think there are like a thousand loopholes. So yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like, is there is there a limit now? Not really. And, and I want to, uh, yeah, and I feel like this is a thing that lots of people at the same time are kind of having this collective realization because we're entering this period. <laughs> yeah, we're entering this period of, um, you know, austerity, like the economy is going to be withdrawing now that Biden's in. Things are going to be and shrinking. austerity does great things for nonprofits. Yeah, right? and right, and now like you see, you them. know, between Black Lives Matter and just in general, uh, nonprofits are only going to be expanding. And um, I saw a great tweet actually from a guy named Shia LaBeefsteak, and uh, <laughs> he uh, he analyzes it pretty well. And he calls um, he call and this is a term in general that I'm just starting to learn about. And it's not just about nonprofits, but it's called civil society. And he wrote uh, the other day, he said, civil society is just a subject, a thing, a category of analysis. We merely talk about foundations, NGOs, or globalization. We can make an account of changes in civil society or a genealogy of the new, new left. Uh, What we lack is an understanding of civil society's role in the era and what that means for working class politics compared to a left politics. Um, So what what are you saying there is that like it's it's bigger than even nonprofits. There's this whole like sector of of our uh, of our country of our like of the, of our people or whatever you want to call it, uh, where the mode is about like nonprofits, foundations, and movements that are funded by billionaires, and it's it's almost invisible to many people. And we're all like I think many people at the same time are seeing the slice of it. Like you're you had your experience at nonprofit. That left you feeling a certain way you know we have this experience where we live in kingston um that led us to like analyze a certain dimension of it and it's like it's so hard to pin down and it's completely mystified uh yeah. how things work in our country like you know because we all believe i think so many people believe that something's fucked up but uh when people charge in and try to figure out what to do they they hit this wall that is like yeah nonprofit and yeah, 501c3 I think, status. I think that's the thing is that people on the right and moderate left, all of us, if you just sat down in a room and talked about whether or not things are fucked up, pretty much everyone can agree. Um, for example, I really don't share much um, like I don't, my parents and I have very differing political views, but my mom is like, oh, the Clinton crime family. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) right. So like we agree that we hate the same things and it's like this weird sort of thing. But I think where things get really fractured is when you talk about how you're going to fix things, people freak out when it comes to that. It's like the Medicare for all conversation, right? Like you have the people that are like, just do it. Then people are like, no, that's terrible. And then people are like, sure, but how are you going to pay for it? Mm. And people get really caught up in like imagining how to fix things. And so instead of just agreeing that we should fix them and figuring it out, people can't get past this, like this stage of like ideological, like warfare of like, what are we going to do about it? And and so it just stagnates. Yeah. It's like a, a battle between different version, different utopian visions that yeah, different say, billionaires you know, in the peddling. utopia not everybody's gonna agree right right How? well yeah right <laughs> yeah. and like the power the power dynamic is that it's it's a proxy war between billionaires where they're all getting yeah. richer anyway but like the Koch brothers have one utopian vision the walton the walmart family waltons 
have another utopian vision. The Buffets, you know, even among the Buffett family, they all have different utopian visions. And they're all yeah. just, I mean, we're all just pawns, basically. They, they pour money onto these ideas. And then the ideas become memes in our, in our minds. And we all yeah. believe in these different versions of utopia. And, that, and then, you know, we take it out on each other because we don't have like, we have no agency to go after them. And, not really yet. and at yeah. what point does like the whole nonprofit industry become a monopoly right yeah. like a monopoly on something at least maybe not like all owned by one person but i mean a monopoly on like civility like you said yeah. like i don't know it's so, really weird i'd say it's a monopoly on ideas already yeah and yet it's just a mirror image of like the business sector it's it's totally. it's like you uh, wait fox and you just tweet something about um, storytelling as marketing, as like a marketing thing that, oh wait, sorry, maybe that was someone else, but- That sounds um, like something that I would say, because- Or maybe you retweeted it, but someone said like, it sucks how nonprofits have co-opted the use of storytelling as a marketing tool. Mm. Yeah, it's gross. That's spot on. I mean, I don't remember tweeting that, but that's totally- (laughs) Kilgore, that on. was a that was a comment on your YouTube video. I was just looking at that and I was like, wow, that's uh oh. that's spot on. <laughs> I think actually, yeah, it was somebody um I'll just pull it up really quick. So they said uh all they do is launder money. This is a comment from your YouTube video. All they do okay, is launder money and the reputations of rich people. Stephanie McMahon, the chief brand officer of WWE, quoted, Philanthropy is the future of marketing. It's the way brands are going to win. Jeep yeah. shit. They just just spill the beans. Also, uh, I won't like get too into this, but I'm super into, uh, I love on YouTube, all the like multi-level marketing shit. (laughs) It's like my McDonald's, but I, uh, I like listen to all this and so many of these MLMs have foundations and they have like their own little nonprofit, right? So they'll be like the um, the Young Living Essential Oil oh nonprofit. And it's like for victims of abuse, but they don't actually do anything. Yeah. It's just to shelter money. It's yeah. crazy. And it's and, some, some yeah. massage their image and make them look like, how, oh, could absolutely. You, how could you go after them when they're doing all this good work and they're helping yeah. the world? So not only do, do um, nonprofits use like those marketing techniques that a business would use, but businesses use nonprofits as a marketing technique. Yeah. It's, it's, ah! it's, <laughs> per- it. <laughs> it's diabolically perfect, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It really yin and yang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's almost, comp- that's almost nice when it's that simple, when it's just like, oh, you're just doing this because you want to like launder the image of young living essential oil or whatever. That's yeah, almost like their fucking leader, like literally killed his own child. Yeah. But that's but, simple. So, you know, that's, that's enough yeah, for me to they understand. They need some good PR, I guess. Yeah. Yo, that's crazy. Oh yeah. He like pretended to be, um, um, what's it called? Like a midwife, like a, like for birthing centers. Oh God. He faked the credentials for doing that like seven different times in like all these different States. He was just like obsessed with like childbirth. <laughs> Makes Whoa. you think, but yeah, really weird stuff. He's responsible for killing like several babies. That's fucked up. Holy <laughs> it's shit. It's really fucked up. And then he started an MLM because we, it's such a predatory thing, right? So he started the MLM weird. after he killed all Sort of people? during. <laughs> wow. Sort of, it was all sort of at once. I think, I think he's 
dead now or maybe maybe he's in prison i forget i gotta i gotta do some more research yeah i'm always fascinated with mlms too because they're like this really pure form of like cult capitalist cult behavior where it's like just total recruitment um and just but it's also mixed in with like the um the art of the deal type shit yeah like people love that they love being like little mini hustlers right like and they think it's so cool and and they they feel like they're working really hard for something and they're told that it's going to pay off but it never does i know it's tragic the people at the bottom of the i think even the people at the top are honestly like still victimized and a lot of times like when they get out they have a lot more to deal with because they're like i exploited like a thousand women yeah yeah and it's a lot of it is with women too yeah, what, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, Some social yeah. phenomenon. I think it's like exploiting this idea of like women want to be more independent and make their own living. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah. And a lot of times I think they're limited in terms of like their hours. Yeah. Because of like, the, well, sometimes they target like college students, but also they target like single moms and like army wives and stuff. Right. And or, people with more traditional values, like conservative Christians, they'll, right. they'll target it, them. Yeah, and it exploits sort of the the social relationships that that women have with each other, where they have more of this sort of like, you know, familial bonding and like, hey, I'm just doing this as your friend. I, th- I think you might enjoy this kind of thing. Whereas, you know, it seems like male friendships don't yeah. quite have that same. But I mean, it's there too. It's it's totally there too. Um, yeah, I know. But but back to the nonprofit thing. I mean, I just think that at a certain point, it's like you said, like what we're going through right now is going to cause all of this like austerity. And then the only the only response to it is going to be like an increase in like charitable giving and stuff like that. And uh, I think it's such an instinct for people at this point too, to just give. Your video laid out a really interesting groundwork. And I was like um, rewatching it too, because there's a lot of stuff in there that I want to kind of research where you, you were first talking about the tax act of 1969 uh, have you have you researched into like the the fine details of like how all this sort of happened between nixon and reagan and um yeah i mean it was it it was really weird because it was i think one of the first examples of telling the american people the regular american people that by making these cuts that their taxes were going to be lower Mm -hmm. when in fact if you look at it like the average person's tax rate really doesn't change that much it's more the you know like that top one percent for example their taxes go way down and so they go around saying like taxes are going to go up taxes are going to go up and and no one asks okay on who and so you have these people who, you know, if, you know, a hundred years ago, if you made a um, billion dollars, you knew that a ton of that was going to be taxed. So why, what, what would really motivate you to go earn a million, a billion dollars? Hmm. But once they got all these little loopholes going, I think more and more people who were at the top were like, yeah, I can endlessly earn money and it's going to be taxed, like basically very little let's just say that like uh, like i said in my video that people can just shelter their money in a foundation but that's not even the only way you can also just like like register in another country right right? there's there's so many weird ways to get around it and 
Um, I think telling people like, hey, taxes are going to go up if we do this or if you vote for that person became like a, a regular strategy for politicians. And it's still used. I mean, there's this whole thing now. People are talking about um, uh, the Joe, like Joe Biden said, you know, I'm only going to tax people. It's like $400,000 a year or more or something. But I've heard so many people tell me that their taxes are going to go up after Joe Biden, you know, takes over. Mm. And I'm like, you don't make that much. Right. right <laughs> I know right. you. I know you don't make that much. So I don't really know what people are talking about. Right. So it's right. And then so taxes get cut on social services. People need oh, yeah. more social services, but then they they have to get these these things that they need through charity work. So then yeah. now this has created a whole new marketplace for um for nonprofits, for for obscenely rich people to funnel their yeah. money into. And then what happens is you create this whole separate industry that's totally unregulated, unaccountable, um, where people kind of have to go in and beg for the services that they need to survive. Yeah. So it fits in, I mean, not the nonprofit model fits in perfectly with, you know, free market. basically, yeah. Austerity and, and free market um, capital. Yeah, and the, the fucked up part about the Reagan thing is that he cut all these services and switched a lot of things from like grants to loans, for example, but he also uh, raised military spending. Yeah. I mean, it was like the peak of the cold war, right? So, or maybe not the peak, I don't know, whatever. It was like 40 fucking years. That's the so. one thing that we can yeah. raise, you know, spend spend money on, right? And then when, when people um, realize that's fucked up, they have two options. They can either uh, throw themselves into being a volunteer at a nonprofit that isn't incentivized to fix the problem or they can join a movement where they want to organize for uh, more just resources for their community and more, more just like redistribution of wealth and taxes. Mm -hmm. But those movements are controlled by nonprofits that receive grants from billionaires. So there's all kinds of invisible boundaries and barriers with that. And then the other yeah. thing they can do is try to do mutual aid, which uh, in practice often ends up uh, working in concert with nonprofits or replicating the work of nonprofits. Yeah, it's really, think, it's, it's really like blackpilling to think about. I think you guys were talking about this. I don't know what, which episode it was, but it was like, once you start calling it mutual aid, it kind of changes from like just helping someone to being like this thing. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, like, I don't know what you call that, but like the people who are calling it mutual aid are basically like little like non-profit heads <laughs> yeah well that's the pro that's the problem with mutual aid is that it in the past has been a great tactic like um the black, the black panthers. panthers used uh right, like the definition of it is fucking flawless but like when you're talking about well it has to be used in, in conjunction with building power and in, yeah. and not just saying like oh i'm just here to like do charity and give handouts yeah because that's the fun and easy part the hard part is to build you know relationships with people build power and then work towards actually you know challenging these modes so what happens what's perfect now for um all these sort of like woke philanthropy nonprofit things is they say oh well we're doing mutual aid um be and and it's a symptom of this massive austerity because nobody has resources and whatever and we're like well we could take care of ourselves and and of course 
the people in charge who have all the money and the resources and power. And they're like, yeah, go ahead, take care of each other. You know, yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't have to take care of you anymore. You'll just, you know, drive around diapers for each other, you know, and, and yeah. we don't, we're not held responsible for that. Philly DSA mm-hmm. just had a good, some good discourse about this because they actually voted to not have or disband their dedicated mutual aid group. Uh, and they decided that we should just use mutual aid when it's in support of something that's going on instead of just doing mutual aid for the sake of it, which is like an well, that's like a, that's actually pretty cool because that's, I mean, that's like a pillar of, or I'm not a pillar. I don't know. That's so stupid. Sorry. That's like, <laughs> that's like a fundamental part of like anarchism, right? Is like, you're not just going to like persist as an organization, just for the sake of persisting, you're going to be like, okay, I think we did our job. Like there's no benefit in it for us staying together. So let's, you know, let's dissolve the organization and we'll meet back up here if we need to. Mm, And, um, but nonprofits will never do that. Right. Why would they ever be like, cool, we solved it. Peace out. Like onto the next town. Well, they can't, they can't solve it because they'd put (laughs) themselves out of business and, and people's, the people who work for nonprofits, they would lose their job. Why would they want to lose their job? And I'm sure there's plenty of people who work for nonprofits who are like, I want to lose my job. And I want, I want this problem to end. And I, yeah, tru- I, f- I truly feel bad for people who are like stuck in that. And you, you touched on this in the video where you're talking about social workers and oh social, God, work- social workers who, who I'm sure a lot of people who go into social work want yeah. to help people, but their hands are tied and they have to go through, they have to jump through so many hoops, go through yeah. so much bureaucracy, do so much means testing just yeah. to be able to give people the resources that they need. Yeah, this uh, nonprofit I worked at, which I don't know if we're going to put that part in, but is, you know, funded by someone who had more than enough money to help a lot of people. Um, It was, uh, we have one caseworker and uh, that was not enough because we had like hundreds of homeless clients at at one given time, right? It was kind of like a revolving door sort of. So, but um, she did so much, all she did was paperwork. And I remember at one one point sort of towards the end of my uh, short short stint there one of the girls like very well-meaning I think she could tell I was frustrated and she's like have you thought about like getting a degree in social work I mean you have your bachelor's you could go for your master's and I'm like I don't want to go to school for a couple years and then do means testing paperwork all day every day in an office so that some some guy can hopefully get approved for minimum disability like what or like ga which you have to pay back it's like a crazy system whatever it is so whatever whatever it is that they're doing is i think really important work and i think they're like some of the most well-meaning people yeah but i think that it would probably be really easy to get really jaded as a social worker totally like at the system and that's like i i said at the end of my video like do mutual aid do stuff like that but the thing is i don't I don't even want to pretend like I have the answers. All I really want to do is point out problems Mm because I think once people begin to see that Mm -hmm. they can come to their own sort of conclusions about what to do about it. I don't, I I don't, I don't know what to tell people. I am a hundred percent with you on that one. And I get, I get that a lot too, where people are like, well, what's your solution then? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Bitch, I don't know. Like, if somebody's if somebody's telling you they have yeah. solutions to this, they're probably trying to sell you something, you know? 
Yeah. And like, you know, I don't mean to be super critical about that. Like, it's good to come up, try to brainstorm solutions. Oh, for but, sure. But obviously, like, if somebody had the right solution, wouldn't we be doing it? You know, like, we yeah. haven't we haven't figured it out. And we we need to figure it out together because yeah. there's, and, and pointing out the problems is so important. Being, t- constantly being critical of where our movements are are getting, you know, co-opted or whatever is so important, but there's this culture now of sort of finger wagging anybody who, who brings up criticisms and and people taking it so personally. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I wish we could get past that because it's not personal. That's the whole thing. It's not, it's not about one, one person, one individual. It's not a critique of like individuals. It's a critique of the system. And we as, individuals are united in wanting to you know uh adjust the system in our benefit yeah exactly and like i i don't think that there's one right way to do like such a big job of changing (laughs) the entire structure of the government or something but there's no one way to do it but i think just getting people to realize that it's it's really broken is really important it's like um i think uh, I was just thinking about this, like, I think it, back in, uh, when was that? Like October, of, December of 2019, when the, the impeachment hearings were happening. Um, so many people collectively sat there and watched representative democracy not work at all. Yeah. And went like, didn't they just spend like three fucking years trying to do this? And then it just didn't work. Yeah. And then we had the primary, which got people really wound up for something new and then you guys know the rest um (laughs) but yeah so I think a lot of people sat there and watched those impeachment hearings because that's like a watching history in the making right um a lot of people were watching it and a lot of people were like seriously this is how it fucking works yeah like that's it it's done and it's really frustrating and so a lot of people I think since that moment are like maybe not so good. Right. Maybe it's not the best. Well, I think what, what's happening is that people are witnessing this, this stuff and feel so separated from it. They, they realize a lot of people don't vote because they're like, this is all fake. Neither team is going to represent my interests. The government doesn't work for me. Yeah. A lot of people like already kind of inherently know that. So they're mm-hmm. just sort of checked out and, and, and we've gotten ourselves accustomed to this idea that there's just nothing we can do. We're kind of helpless to um, these these larger systems that operate above us and outside of us. And mm-hmm. it's it's this undermining of like, you know, we call ourselves a democratic society, but I don't think most people feel like they have any purchase, even in local mm-hmm. politics. I don't know how much you've, if you've dealt with like local politics, but it's, it's yeah. very much the same thing as the larger stage. I mean, you can talk to your representatives are a lot more accessible. And I see, I recommend anybody who's listening to try to get involved in local politics and see what, what ends up happening. You'll, you'll see the same sort of shit, you know, float to the surface. It's, it's all the same stuff. Um, I mean, Kamala Harris is like a perfect example of this. I mean, she started right here in San Francisco. Just, Oh, I didn't uh, know that. What's it called? She was like the, um, the DA. Truancy officer. Or, wait. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, she, oh God, I'm like totally, I 
I think that's right, DA. Like, she was basically, yeah. like, the, the, the top cop, right? She calls herself. Which, that was later. She was, like, then the, you know, on, on that scale, but for the whole state. And then eventually senator and everything. But she, uh, now she's going to be the vice president. And it's, like, she probably won by a margin of, I don't know, 50,000 votes locally. Initially, yeah. like, for her first office. And so, yeah, it does matter. And, like, I... I freaking hate the supervisor for my district, which is like the same as um, being like a, a council council person. They call them board of supervisors here. Um, I freaking hate the guy for my neighborhood. Uh -huh. But like he could go on to like, because he after this um, next, what, four fucking years he's going to serve, he can't do it again he can't run for that same office again so he could go on and and run somewhere else so in in you know citywide or statewide or something and that sucks well dude he's like a he's like a land use nimby oh like that's yeah. his whole thing and he's just like he's like hey sorry we can't build the like the um the like homeless navigation youth center here because there's like fucking polywogs in the water i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Save the polywogs. He yeah, might have a hard time. Just... He might have a hard time moving up then. If he, I thought like I think like the way to move up, at least is my perception in San Francisco. You have to be like a tech yimby. You know, like you have um... to you have to get Silicon money, Silicon Valley money, and say that like we seem to build more, and like you'll get. You'll yeah, he. Yeah, he has a way. He's very well connected too. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, we'll see. Yeah, I, I can't really see him uh, appealing to the masses. But then again, I don't like him. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't really understand how he's gotten this far. He's served four times for this neighborhood. Our neighborhood is bad. It's looking bad. Like every, even before COVID, every other storefront was completely shuttered. We have like the highest rent in the city. There's like you know, a really bad issue with like people not being able to not only get housing, but then there's no services in our neighborhood for homeless people, mm. except for the nonprofit that I work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so really interesting stuff. But, um, but anyways, like you said, yeah, local politics is really important and it's really hard to feel like our representative democracy does anything, but it does how you have more leverage at a local level, I think. Just yeah, right? it, it, it makes the issues seem more real and more accessible. And um, yeah, you just see how they're all like lying pieces of shit right in front of your I face. still lose yeah. like every election, though. Oh, I always yeah. I always vote for every loser. Like I should stop <laughs> voting. I should. I'm bad luck. <laughs> Everyone I vote for loses. I didn't vote. Th this is the first time I didn't vote in a long time because our even our Democrats were just ghoulish just taking money from yeah. uber airbnb just ghoulish i think that's the, like what you were saying about the silicon valley yimby thing is that the yimbies and the nimbies kind of like it's just probably like in kingston like they're both funded by a bunch of nonprofits. And yeah like all these all these interests right or not even nonprofits, but like the corporate interests behind the nonprofits. yeah uh they're kind of one in the same and they kind yeah. of like bounce off of each other instead of actually getting anything done um, so it kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, we're we're gonna get uh, what happened in California. We're gonna get that in New York next with the uh, the Uber and Lyft, um, you know, classifying the gig workers as employees. That that got defeated. so much closer to unionizing, guys. <laughs> yeah. So much closer. We're we're yeah. so far. I mean, when Fox <laughs> mentioned like our 
that's going to be a battle in our state house this year. And already like all the gig companies have set up, um, you know, political action committees and these AstroTurf groups and they paid our, they contributed like, I think like close to a hundred thousand dollars to our state Senator candidate who is a progressive Democrat organizer, but she is supported by the, the, unholy, the unholy Alliance of Airbnb <laughs> Uh, Lyft and um, re realtors, and okay, she right. she is our progressive champion. So yeah. that's always good when you got the realtors on your side. You know it's a fucking <laughs> good call. Yeah, right. Yeah, they always have our best interests in mind, don't they? You know, I saw uh, a <laughs> I saw a chart of like who what professions donated to like either Trump or Biden, and uh, you know because there's that whole meme about like the suburban boat dealers who voted for Trump and everyone else voted for Biden. <laughs> But like realtors were on the cusp, like realtors, realtors went for Biden, but developers went for Trump, which oh, is God interesting. God. So it's like the like, small, they, they just like draw out of a hat every four years. Like, <laughs> okay. You go for one. We're going to go for the other. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it's yeah, pretty logical because also... like realtors love that. Like, I mean, I think like the Biden, the Biden America fits for realtors because they want this, like they want their cake. They want their cake and to be able eat it too like biden's not yeah. going to do anything to like redistribute anything or help you know poor people it's just going to be like papering over uh yeah. the inequalities and like papering just, over the despair but, they want that that's yeah. moral superiority of like well we have you know a rainbow flag and a black lives matter exactly. flag and it's like fucking while reactionary we, at that point while we gentrify the shit out of your neighborhood oh. <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I, I like I I don't even think you can gentrify my neighborhood in San Francisco because yeah. it's like it's seriously it, it's like uh, my I, you know what I've seen a couple times lately it's getting me really angry is thin blue line flags in San Francisco which is kind <laughs> of I know that like everywhere else like I could drive like twenty minutes that way and I'd see them anyways. Mm. But it really pisses me off when I see them. I'm not gonna burn anything down, but I do think about it for like four seconds when I see those <laughs> fucking blue. And it's always the places that board everything up too. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you a little scared? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you got you got nothing to be scared about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bad beliefs. But we we have a neighbor who put up his thin, thin blue line flag. <laughs> Right, like oh, right as yeah. the riots were starting up, and we're like, okay, I see what you're doing here. I mean, we live in a in a cop neighborhood, so. Oh God. Yeah, I mean, the thing about cops too is like, yeah, like they work for just a brutal system, and they're the enforcers. So yeah, they're fucking assholes. They're basically the the Foot Clan, for mm. you know. Shredders. I can just imagine like living in a cop neighborhood just means that like they're always setting fireworks off or something. Just oh, like yeah, fucking we do get a, sticks all the time. We do get a lot of fireworks <laughs> here for sure. I don't like. I don't mind. I don't mind like those types of people. Um, I lived in a pretty rural area right before I moved to Kingston, and I've been friends with with cops. And you know, yeah. a lot. It's it's just a a lot of it's just a, di a cultural difference. Yeah. And they think, I think a lot of them think that they're, they're helping out and that they're like, yeah, they, they have true. this sort of Superman complex and they don't have, you know, critique of capitalism that um, makes them, that helps them understand that they're supporting a system that, you know, hurts, 
hurts yeah. more people than it helps. But um, I always remind myself of that, like with cop stuff and also with like the fucking anti-mask people is that they think that they're not only right, but they think that they're doing the good thing. Like every, right. nobody, nobody is like that, you know, villain in the movie right. that just does it because they are evil. Everyone thinks that they're doing something that is correct yeah. and moral. And so like, it takes a lot of conditioning usually, but like cops, I think, do think they are like little superheroes. Right, right. And that without them, it would be chaos. And right. it's like, bitch, it's already chaos. <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> totally. Well, I and mean- there's like. 10,000 of you in this city so or whatever that's such a good mindset that you just you know spoke about yeah, I have a Republican it's... family so I have to uh, if I want to well, if that, I want to stay you know nice with them I have to that's how that. that's how we're gonna get anywhere right is realizing that yeah. like we're, we're all we all have this sort of like baseline understanding and, and goodness about yeah. us um but we just uh, we're pushed into these different categories where we we're trying to just pursue the, the I guess the, the best path um, in different yeah. ways. And if we can sort of come together and realize, oh, wait a minute, we all hate the same people. <laughs> we all yeah. hate the billionaires. Um, I will rescind what I said a second ago. And I don't think that certain media people or really, really wealthy people think they're doing the right thing. I think like Laura Ingram knows what she's doing. I think that she mm. knows what fallacies are and she knows how to use them. She understands them so so well that she's like a pro at using them, right? As a, a weapon. And I think she's just a, like, people like that are, are genuinely evil. But I, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what their backstory is, their villain backstory. I'm sure it's great. But I think that like everyday people who don't have like what you would call power of any kind, I don't think that they do anything just to be terrible. Like I think yes. Laura Ingram probably does it for money, right? So, yes. you know, I, that's maybe she's the key. just really I think, individualistic. <laughs> no, I think you've hit on exactly on it is a power. Exactly. Let's look at people's relationship to yeah. power. And Laura Ingram, you yeah. know, maybe something in her life has made her sort of go down. It, she's getting all this positive reinforcement by appealing to power and climbing her way up and doing well for mm -hmm. herself and which has turned her you know over many years into a person who has a lot of power and speaks and says the things that she knows are gonna do well for her situation um but mm -hmm. exactly like she has a lot of power but you know your next door neighbor joe blow who has his thin blue line flag out he doesn't have as much power yeah and and he's he probably has a that's much him different... trying to have some power probably yeah, right because he has none right? right like that's him being like i want to show my identity and and persuade people with this flag because that's the yeah. only way he's ever going to like reach people yeah but right. it still doesn't work i mean you know yeah he doesn't and... actually like get to change the laws <laughs> right so. and, and to pull this back to your video like we just you know we so many people understand so many people even the people who are advocating for defund the police know the limitations of social services mm -hmm. and uh, nonprofit nonprofits that offer services and defunding the police would push, you know, would push a lot of money and a lot of power uh, to these institutions that deserve to be critiqued. And like, there is nothing better than to offer these critiques because 
they're only going to grow. Uh, you know, I think the reason why these, uh, the sentiment is growing is because people can feel inherently that the power of nonprofits and the social services are growing. Um, you know, and they might explode in growth if like, if we, if some areas do defund the police yeah. and push things in that direction. Uh, and I don't think, I mean, a nonprofit isn't going to like murder somebody, but there's a lot of other like problematic shit that can happen uh, also. And, well, like, yeah. slow, and for slow every boiling. problem that pops up, you're going to get like, yeah, but for every problem that pops up, you're going to have this boom, like new little like industry of in the nonprofit industry, sorry, not industry, like sector of the nonprofit industry. Like when COVID happened by like June or July, there were, probably i don't know off the top of my head maybe 50 or 100 new organizations in san francisco just doing like uh providing meals for old people and like delivering things for people like all these different things mm. and they're now like it's like okay so when covid ends are you done or right you know what's the plan there and so it's really interesting because every time there's like a, a new issue in the world there's all new these crisis. new nonprofits to treat it yeah, new crisis. Could, yeah. I saw, Chaos is a ladder, right? <laughs> I saw a tweet. Yeah, from, right. I saw a tweet by Savvy, who I don't follow, but I saw somebody like retweeted her, and I was like, Wait, it just. She's one of those like hot gun girl communist ones, you know. <laughs> oh. And probably what a reason it, I don't see her tweets. Yeah. Well, she said something <laughs> about like, you should join. Oh, I gotta find the tweet. Give me one second, cause she like sleep what is sleep is socialist that's her handle i'm so bad if i sleep is socialist and she said something about zoom and i was like what the fuck shoot i can't find it god damn it i think i know who you're talking about let me just uh <laughs> yes okay here it is hashtags okay. <laughs> so her, her critique was hashtags are good at bringing awareness but they will never create real change. Finding a local left organization is as easy as typing your city socialist org into Google, Facebook, or Twitter. Find them and join a Zoom meeting. And I was like, so we're just pushing people in, into these nonprofits, you know, like to just join a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Like that's the end goal is to like create more Zoom meetings. I mean, Zoom is like Peter's, you know, thing is, is about to come out. They just also, isn't she famous for like the put yourself on a list for the SRA thing? Probably I, these. We, I think it, she was like the original one being like, being like, hey, look at this hot picture of me with a gun. Sign up for the SRA. Yeah. And yeah. Then like a couple months later, they're like, hey, like all these names have gotten leaked from the SRA to the government. Oh so the government God. knows all these leftists that have guns. And it's like, yeah, Whoa. did you think about that? Like. I, you know, we all have our different, you know, viewpoints on, you know, uh, arming the working class and everything, but like, personally, I'm for it, but I'm not going to sign up. <laughs> right. right. I don't know. Put your name know. on a I list. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. On a gun list. <laughs> yeah. No. Not just on a list of like soup kitchen. I'm talking like, I have this gun list. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. That's why these these big accounts that are like, you know, I'm just like, um, I'm a communist with big titties, uh, you know, and they get like 100,000 followers. And I'm like, yeah, what the fuck is going on? I know when I when I shared my video on Twitter here, I have it in my pinned tweet already. It says like, uh, it says, um, 
Instead, go watch my latest video where I outline why nonprofit organizations are neoliberalism and why smart, sexy leftists would never give their money to one of these well-meaning groups. And I totally <laughs> just typed it as a joke. And then I was like, oh my God, I just gun girl. <laughs> I just sexied uh, like, you know, leftist ideology. I just like made it like a thing for horny dudes to go do, which I don't really think that's the case. It was just, I think it was just kind of like, no, you anyone who saw that probably just knew I was kidding, but like, I'm not trying to persuade anyone with my sexuality. <laughs> Kelly, you have like a mastery of satire that I just like. Oh, thank I, you. <laughs> I admire so much. I'm like, holy shit. Calgary. Oh, dang. Calgary I, need to, is the see, master I need to weaponize it. it. I need to, I need to figure should, out a way yeah. to weaponize it. You're you know doing who does it. it the best? I was just thinking about this. I was like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be like bread tube or something. <laughs> like, I don't want to just like pigeonhole myself. Yeah. But I want to be funny, but I want to reach people. And I'm like, fucking Connor O'Malley did that shit. He's like comedian <laughs> yeah. of the left. Yeah, he's he like yeah, <laughs> Alex and yeah, I he's... like speak in Connor O'Malley, O'Malley oh gibberish God. to each other like all day long. Yeah. Yeah. We'll like, like when the garbage truck comes, we're like, Gar <laughs> garbage kings. <laughs> I, just, oh, so yeah. I just recently watched I Think You Should Leave and he's in that like honk if you're horny or honk <laughs> if you like boobs or whatever and he's just honking the whole. Because <laughs> it's such a Connor O'Malley thing, just go over the top. Yeah. Eat, right? Like he's like, anyways, I just love that he really can be just funny and he doesn't really like speak seriously on topics yet mm -hmm. he really only appeals to the left and i'm like how did he figure that out yeah but like i genuinely don't think that like your run in the mill like snl lib would watch connor o'malley and be like that's so funny i think they'd be like that guy's weird yeah yeah but i don't know how he did that so i have to figure out how to tap into that and yeah. you can tell he, he still has <laughs> i think he still has love for like you know the kind of neat or unemployable or you know poor like poor white conservative people like there's still like yeah. a an empathy i guess for like that they were sold something that is like bullshit but, and so like you know when he hits on these like cultural touch points about like you know drinking monster energy drinks and playing xbox and listening to nickelback and like you know like <laughs> he, there's something about it, it cool <laughs> yeah there's something about it that's like there's a soft there's a kind of a soft touch that is like not not condemning them to death which is, i think is what the snl liberals might be more comfortable with is that they want like they want woke eugenics or woke, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, woke oh death squad. Like they're like, I don't care if. Oh you my know, god! Like they want like Missouri. the IQ test to vote, yeah, or, or like, kind of thing. Oh like, you fuck right. you guys. Or they'll say like, um, oh well, sorry, Missouri, like Missouri went for Biden, and or Missouri went for Trump, and therefore like they should all die of COVID. You know that kind of shit. Where it's like, don't you know that there's a lot of like I'm trying to find a lot of people there that that didn't vote for Trump, and I don't think anyone should die of COVID. I don't know. Yeah. This is me though. I'm old fashioned yep. like that. <laughs> yeah. How quaint. Um, <laughs> there is this episode of his show. I forget what it's called. It's it's one of his like sort of God, I forget what it is. But there's this there's this scene where he's like, I'm living in a world where um like Afghanistan never happened, but I but 9-11 did or something. <laughs> and like, and he's, he's like talking about being like this, like basically like sheltered conservative of like, 
oh yeah, like America. And it's so good. And I have that screenshot. And I always think about that, like living in a world where Iraq and Afghanistan didn't happen, but 9-11 did. Yeah. He, he, so yeah. fucked up. Who would who would think of that? Only Connor on It's a, it's a mastery of of satire there. And where you where you it's it's both speaking a truth about something and also like very um expertly sort of prodding the sensitivities, the sort of like the bugaboos um and make it, making people kind of have that little sort of self-awareness cringe about about things. Yeah. Um, while also kind of like celebrating it a little bit too. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, also real quick, cause you were just talking about like people demonizing the conservative American kind of like working class people. Hmm. Um, I don't know where I originally like heard someone speak about this, but I've been, this was like my black pill <laughs> hmm. or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, where some with, with like, uh, electoral politics and stuff which I already hated but then I basically they, it was someone was basically like you know if Trump so since Tr- Trump won in 2016 do you know how much money Democrats have raised and in that same vein I I think it's important to point out like do you know how much like certain nonprofits have sort of used that as like I don't know, leverage for fundraising to change something, to fix something. And this idea that like when one party wins, the other party earns money. Mm. It fucked me up. And like now Joe Biden's going to be the president and either Trump people or other GOP people are going to go around, you know, the Bible belt and stuff and just raise a bunch of money. Yeah. And it's really, really fucked up. Right. (laughs) Just like how they, they like almost like they almost uh, feed off one another yeah well yeah it's like exactly they need each other um to to play this game this sort of reactionary marketplace reactionary fandom um game you know did did you watch the show um what was that show where they murdered the guy it was the four friends <laughs> what was that show not helping wait what are you talking about that's sh- oh fuck. is it new or old it's a new show. Um, it's got the chick Murder from. Guy. It's got the chick from Arrested Development. Maybe the actress who played Maybe. Mm-hmm. Was Search Party. I didn't Search watch Party. This. Oh man, no, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. But there's like a perfect thing in season two where they have like a right wing pundit and this character who's like sort of this bougie gay guy. And they play it. They yeah. he comes on their on her show, and they play up this dynamic where they're sort of fighting each other, and they're like talking shit on each other. But then after the cameras mm-hmm. stop rolling, they're like, "That was fabulous," and they become like best friends. Yeah, because like people just eat up this idea of like you know Democrat versus Republican, and it's all just like spectacle, and they're all just they're all buddies. Yeah, yeah. They're yep. the elite. What are they gonna What are they gonna not hang out together? Yeah. Yeah. Are they gonna hang out with poor people? <laughs> right. <No. laughs> I know. That's why there's all yeah. these pictures of like Trump and Clinton hanging out together. Oh God, yeah, all of them, yeah. all of them. The yeah. freaking and Obama, Obama with H.W. or uh, W. Bush, yeah. right? There's like yeah. Michelle like holding George W. Bush's hand. <laughs> yep. It's like, like Car- sitting there. Like, Carlin said, like bitch, it's, what? <laughs> it's a big club, and you ain't in it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, anyways, I was gonna ask, uh, what's your guys' next video? 
we've got a, we've got a few one slated we've got a few projects kind of in the works alex what 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 are the sort of top priority videos that we're thinking about working on next uh i mean about spectacles about localism and oh and about uh the march for sanity 10 years ago yeah that was going to be part of the i've heard of that Mark might fall into the march. Do you remember uh, it was like a daily thing. show Colbert Report rally that they had in like 2000? The rally, the rally to restore sanity. And it, it was, was like, like uh, I there uh, was his name, the other guy was on John Stewart and Colbert. John Stewart, yeah, yeah and, that's right. I do. Wow, that's and like, like hundreds of thousands of people showed thing. up and they all had like <laughs> ironic arrested development style signs. And like, you know, it was like the ultimate kind of. It was the beginning of something. It was the beginning of this cultural movement where on the left and li- left liberals and like young people kind of were like, oh, I have no hope of ever connecting with someone and changing their minds. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to be like surprised and that they don't agree with me and make fun of them and like call them stupid. And that was kind of the beginning of of this cycle that we're in. And f- funnily enough, it was on it was on Get Out the Vote weekend in 2010 um right as like the democrats were about to lose a thousand uh seats in state houses and they just got wiped in congress and they lost they lost the like congress senate presidency majority so oh my god kind of do it, it just so sent, you yeah. like analyzing the the fallout from that basically well i think the thesis would be to to in the video to tell that yeah show the context of what happened but also say that we're about to enter that we're about to do that over and that's what the next two years are going to be like uh trump shit's not going to work anymore how much of this stuff that we see on tv is is such a it's curated in a certain way and like you know we see these things from afar and we say oh that's so cool it's so badass we're making all these gains um but we really don't know the details of what's happening uh like people on the ground would know um, and a lot of the stuff that we think is like just this sort of organic stuff is really very like manufactured um, in a way. Like an example of this is that I had a guy on Twitter kind of come at me and be like, you know, I, I had a tweet that did okay um, about sort of how like all this stuff is like manufactured by the DNC, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and Occupy. And it showed that the grim reaper sort of knocking on all the door on the doors of all these movements. And I'm like, well, these movements were manufactured in the first place. So, um, yeah. And then I, yeah, I had a guy posted the grim reaper thing. Yeah. I, I retweeted it saying something about that. And, and this guy kind of came at me and he was upset that I said that he's like, you know, I bet you haven't actually done any real organizing or something. And I, I shared a picture, some pictures of myself, like, doing organizing because yeah. i have i've done like you know h- housing organizing and whatnot yeah. doing the work do it you know i was doing the work um <laughs> and uh it are not our, self-righteously or anything though right well sh- trying not to <laughs> not <laughs> try to work <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding <laughs> but um yeah so w- we've organized around uh, a thing called kingston tenants union which we helped kind of start and the guy goes, oh, yeah, I've heard great things about them. And I'm like, great things about who? And he's like, Kingston Tenants Union. And I'm like, 
motherfucker i helped fucking start that and like you're saying you're you're shaming me but you're saying but this group that you know you're only you've only heard about it because alex and i work in marketing and we know how to promote things and make them look bigger than they actually fucking are so you think that kinks and tenants union is like this big sort of like cool thing that's doing all this great work and it's like we're fucking we're struggling where we haven't accomplished anything yeah materially we've we've fought for some stuff but we haven't won that's how it goes (laughs) right and and there's this perception out there we're like this amazing org that's doing great work and we're fucking not like it's all it just like to go back to what we were saying before (laughs) it's all marketing it's all spectacle and marketing and and people see these things through these channels in a certain way yeah that Alex you look like you want to say yeah and also that like the I think there's a cultural critique too of uh the rally to restore sanity and back then there weren't as many there weren't nearly as many podcasts or YouTube channels and I think there's going to be a role that like for example Chapo I mean I enjoy Chapo sometimes I still listen um but for many people that that plays a role in their life that the daily show used to play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some, there's something, there's some the like daily parallels. show to Chapo pipeline. Yeah, as I, call it. yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and it's not, it's not to say that like, Oh, it's like, fuck that, but it's a mode. It's not a, it's not an individual indictment of anybody. It's like, it's the mode that we're in that, we can't even break that it is impossible to break out of. And so we're going to talk about it. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, that that's true. And I think that what you said about like, you know, BLM and Occupy and everything being a little bit like basically like manufactured or at least uh, <laughs> quickly co-opted. Um, I think it's really true. And I think we saw that with Occupy. I think tons of people who participated or even maybe were running Occupy, you know, like, uh, occupations, um, (laughs) whatever you call them, uh, the (laughs) occupations were, were like just genuinely doing it. Um, but that, you know, I think that it's pretty much been, been shown that a lot of those people kind of, uh, kept the grift going or were grifting maybe in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's about, it's about like, I mean, I think what we're all trying to get at and what's worth doing, what the work, the real work is saying like, how do, how do these memes and how these ideas get created? Who's creating them? And then when it spreads through society, like everyone's replicating this thing because they think that they know something's wrong. They're trying to fix it and they reproduce something that's designed to not work or designed to only like do yeah. some do accomplish some of the goal and not all of it and that's what like the rally to restore yeah. sanity was about and occupy black lives matter there are all these things that like yeah you know were designed to do a certain thing and everyone reproduced them without any like cynicism or you know i think most people that reproduce yeah. these things are like trying to make a difference and have the best intentions even dsa yeah. Uh, everyone involved has almost everyone involved has the best intentions, but they're reproducing something that's doomed yeah. 
and no one wants to. I think their biggest flaw is that they believe in party politics. I, that's my thing is like, I think a lot of the people in DSA are just doing it for like the best reasons. And they think that this is like the way, Mm. but it's, it's party politics. Yeah. That's what it is. Right. And they they might go about it a lot better than like the DNC does. But also I want to say that like, I do think that a lot of things that Occupy did, like just on a personal level, I think I was, I had like probably just turned like maybe 17, 18, right around there when that was happening. Um, I graduated high school, like right when the great recession happened or started. Um, And I, uh, I think I was, even though I wasn't directly involved, I think that it did impact me. I think that the, the scene that happened, I, I lived kind of close to UC Davis at that point. And that was where there's like that famous picture of the, like the cop with like the red mustache and he's just spraying the kids on the ground. And it's been like memed. It was like the original like fucking meme. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's like, it'll be like the, like he'd be in like a Renaissance painting, just like spray <laughs> pepper spraying people. Yeah. I remember and I that, remember, though. I think that that was one of the first times, at least as like a young adult that I saw police violence like being you know like shown to me because i grew up in like the fucking suburbs like i'm like a little white chick so i haven't i haven't had to deal with that and so to see like oh wow the police kind of suck huh like these kids are sitting on the ground they're babies yeah and you're just spraying them and so i think that it did do it did make an impact whether it was like manufactured or not i think that there was some good and i know like a lot of people from Occupy like were literally murdered for their involvement. So wow, yeah. I didn't mean to like like minimize that at all. No, yeah. Well, that's the thing is like it was real. It was a real thing that yeah. happened, and a lot a lot of the people who were in it saw it as like, and th- it's the same thing with Black Lives Matter. Like the people who got involved were like, this is our opportunity. This is our chance to like make the change that we want to happen, and that's what we we need that energy and but we need it we need to organize it we need to figure out how to um leverage it outside of the systems um because and that at the end of the day we if we don't figure that out these things are only going to benefit capitalist class they're going to play they're going to play us against ourselves maybe it made a couple people think twice about like going into finance or, Mm. you know, maybe BLM has made a lot of people think twice about becoming police officers and stuff like that. So maybe there's like some, you know, uh, some impact just in, just in the movement itself existing and not necessarily like what they directly do, but like what they indirectly cause. I think maybe, maybe it helps, you know, (laughs) over time. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't like, like I said before, I don't really have any of the answers, but I think that pointing out that certain things like nonprofits basically are just neoliberalism at work is important. And I think that more leftists should talk Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. And not be as apologetic as I was probably because I, I didn't want to like offend anybody. I wanted people to listen, but at the same time, part of me wants to be like, you know, no, fuck nonprofits. You know, (laughs) like, yeah, and I'm picturing the t- the snake kind of eating its own tail. Like, yeah, I think all of us we're all nice. We're obviously you're a very. I only have been speaking to you for a little bit. Oh, I'm not that nice. You're extremely <laughs> nice person, and me and Fox we're extremely nice. Uh, and so like, and all the people that you know in our social circle, like many people work in nonprofits or work in kind of professional organizing. Yeah, we don't want to be dicks to our friends, but yeah, it almost like undercuts the point that we're making when. Now, I, and I, I'm, I'm only, I'm 
calling myself in here. Like I do this all the fucking time where I'm like, you know, everyone involved yeah. is extremely nice and well-intentioned. And there's all this yeah. like preamble. And then my point gets undercut by myself because I'm yeah. like, I don't want to offend any of the individuals, but I'm making a systemic critique. And it's like, shut the fuck up, Alex. Like, <laughs> nonprofits are in the fucking way get out of the fucking way the other thing the other thing is the people who seek out the videos about it probably want yeah like this cathartic sort of like fuck this sort of thing and so maybe we should like focus on giving that to them a little bit more where they're like I see all these problems but nobody's ever put it into like a sentence right I've never heard it said like charity is bad <laughs> right it's so hard to hear yeah. anyone say that in the world nobody That's just goes Jimmy around Dorsey. saying that you're just grifting um, for <laughs> oh shit am i doing jimmy door i really a, don't you're know you're doing violence you're am doing i accidentally doing oh Jim, Jim, jimmy door gave um, me a lot of catharsis well, so. if that's you're gonna violence, make AOC cry <laughs> i i like listening to cody johnston on some more news he'll just yell about something and i'm like you yell <laughs> so that i don't have to yeah right <laughs> it's really kind of nice yeah i'm like okay cool yeah it was nice to hear someone just like i can say it we all need to yell Um, totally we need need to to find our voices i kind of i feel really bad on the day that um, bernie dropped out i was kind of upset i was just you know feeling a little nihilistic and i was telling my sister and i told my sister that joe biden's a rapist (laughs) (laughs) we kind of got into a fight about that but i think we're fine now but i feel kind of bad because i'm like i didn't mean to like drive a wedge between us mm. but um i stand by my point well this you're, is like you're valid Kelgar. <laughs> yeah, i mean it's valid but so it's... is she so is she and sure. she like i think that she would have i don't know maybe she would have supported bernie if he if he la- like you know lasted through the primary but um yeah that i think she more than anything she was just like just can't be trump and i was like okay yeah also that <laughs> i mean it's kind of like the uh the the thing, the interplay between Warren and Sanders supporters throughout the primary, like, I feel like Sanders people could have could have done so much more to just be unequivocal and say like, you know, Warren fucking sucks, and like, yeah. you're in the fucking way, like, and I think the the people that supported Warren, most of them were never ever going to support Bernie, but some of them would have, and yeah. people, I mean, and it's not like it mattered, like it was all part of this left coalition that was doomed to fail from the from inception um but people you know it, it was like and i did this myself too with like locally with people that were warren supporters yeah. like just like being a talking to them like they're babies and saying like yes you know <laughs> you're valid for liking liz and blah 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 and snakes are problematic yeah. and that's a problematic <laughs> trope but like yeah she yeah. was a fucking snake she got in the way and now we have like this doddering old man who should be eating soup like he is he is the president and and like Every but even Warren was pretty system. old, right? All of them. Well, God, she was. She wasn't that. I mean, she can like form sentences, but like her politics. Oh yeah, are... for sure. She's 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 very um, uh, well spoken and everything. I, and I also, um... she like she did the ultimate like. <laughs> all of her supporters are in civil society, and like, oh, the cat is touching the mic. But all of her supporters are in civil society, and like, she did the ultimate sin in their books of like pretend stealing indigenous valor she did it she got caught doing it and civil Mm -hmm. society and all these super woke people were like yes but she understands the most it's like she fucking dolezald and like it's all double all the woke people liked her because she wasn't bernie she was designed to like undercut an actual left you know somewhat leftist candidate and like 
this isn't your Everyone grandma. Like my grandma always told us that she was part Cherokee and then she recently did 23 and me and she's just like Scandinavian and shit. <laughs> like there's not one, not even like the 1%. And like my whole life, she always told me, she's like, oh yeah, I think I'm like one, I don't know what the fucking fractions are, 164th or 136th <laughs> or whatever it is. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay, cool. Like I, I never repeated it. I never told anybody that I actually kind of forgot about it. And then she sent me her 23 and me results and she's like I guess I'm not American Indian after all I'm like it's okay just stop saying it I'm just a boring <laughs> white lady but who cares if my grandma says it but when you like platform it yeah yeah right when you use it as like yike. yeah yike yeah yeah for sure I'm, I'm Greek X you know I'm half <laughs> half anyway I think he's, a, he's of the Greek diaspora <laughs> yeah oh there you go I'm of the uh, Tumblr diaspora. <laughs> Dude, I heard someone say that recently about like all the like social justice fucking like, I don't know, anime kids on on Twitter. And I thought that was so fucking funny. That's that's very funny. <laughs> like, they're all just coming out. Coming out of <laughs> the, yeah. On Twitter. Uh, yeah, apparently, yeah. Tumblr shut down and then they, they, they're just refugees. Wait, is it, is it done? No, I think it's still there, but there's something happened. They got rid of They like the stopped porn. doing porn, right? Yeah. yeah. I actually think it's back now. Someone told me that it's back, but I have I haven't been on Tumblr in like a solid five or ten years. <laughs> Feels like forever. I know. I feel um, like we're like a little. Really, I never really Tumblr. understood it. I I signed up at a certain point. I never could really understand like what I was supposed to post and who was going to see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've always been way. a Twitter person. I was that way with Twitter for a long time, but th- I, for the last really? year, I kind of like forced myself. I was like, no, you have to figure Twitter out because Facebook is just so bad. And I, I think yeah. I'm starting to, to like Twitter a little too much because you can I always just like clicked with it. It made yeah. a lot of sense to me. Well, cause you're a comedian. Yeah, uh, well, thanks. I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't really consider myself one, but I do. Spe- well, okay. I I do think that being funny is one of my more uh, pronounced sort of like traits. <laughs> I sometimes people will be like, "Oh, you're so funny," and I always like to say, "Oh, thanks. It's all I have," because <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how I feel. I'm like, I just I have this one thing, <laughs> this sense of humor. But um, I don't consider myself like a comedian because I've never really done anything in terms of like comedy. But also sometimes comedians are like the worst people. <laughs> like stand-up comedians on Twitter can sometimes be the worst people. Yeah, I could I could see that. You know. I think probably in any- They're like any grumpy old men. Industry where the, or any sort of gr- yeah. cultural grouping, there's always those people who like rise to the top and they're just the most obnoxious people. Like yeah. I noticed this in the mm-hmm. tattooing world. Like ta- there's a lot of tattoo Ooh. artists who are just huge <laughs> douchebags. Yeah. Like a douchebaggery just like runs rampant in the in the tattoo artist community. But there's also a lot of really cool people who do tattoo. It's also a really cool thing like to do tattoo art for a living. But it's it, yeah, true. Yeah. I think it's any of these. I think things. I know what you mean though about ta- tattooers. Uh, certain ones can have sort of like a like an air of like self-righteousness about yeah. them, like there and you're like who are you <laughs> like i am the most prestigious well-known yeah of all the uh, yeah and i could see that being yeah. like the same with comedy where it's like you sort of have it's to be funny though that arrogant. every industry has those like celebrities yeah yeah right like for a while i was helping a friend with like their they own a restaurant locally this was like before covid um chefs are like that too 
so yeah there's like there's like the fucking chefs and (laughs) it's always this like quasi kind of sexy like 30 to 40 year old white dude with like all these sleeve tattoos and he speaks like kitchen Spanish, but he's like fucking Irish, right? And they like, they love like fucking pickling shit and like all this stuff. They have a little ponytail. Dude, I know you, I know. Yeah, they definitely had a man bun at a certain point in time. They, you know, and so, and my, my husband's a chef. Well, he's like a cook. He's, I, he's never, I think he's been a chef before, but he's not anything now. Um, He's, he's a, a handyman for me he fixes all the things around the house that's pretty hot (laughs) but um yeah it's great (laughs) but um but yeah so he uh I I was helping my friends with their thing and I because of it I was like helping with them their with their social media and I got like wrapped up into the world of San Francisco foodie Instagram and oh my god never enter that space <laughs> it's so it's so dumb it's like yeah. the dumbest thing in the world and it's really gross and um i hated that but i think every industry sort of has that like weird little celebrity like thing yeah we have those obnoxious chef people here too because we actually have the culinary institute of america is like oh dang like 40 minutes away or whatever so a lot of and and we have a very like agricultural rich area here in the Hudson Valley so a lot of chefs will open restaurants and now we have like all these rich New York City bougie people moving up so it's like this perfect stew so we get tons of those like chef douchebag types (laughs) I know very well what you're talking about that that foodie culture I don't want to be like a a cook in a city anymore I want to like own my own place yeah up in up in Kingston I want to go I want to go forage for morel mushrooms and in- incorporate so them into is the dish Kingston, like the napa to san francisco sort of thing um that's how i fair. imagine it yeah probably not napa i mean like napa valley because actually the city of napa is like extremely normal <laughs> like mm. yeah like in terms of like demographics and and stuff like that it's like a pretty normal suburban area for this yeah. you know northern california but like the napa valley people which is like the, the winery kind yeah of thing um i that's how i imagine King the artisanal like, crowd yes yeah you probably have your own version of like the french laundry up there and everything right yeah we have like the the Main the, Street. the fancy restaurants and stuff yeah. the, the little boutique restaurants but that whole world yeah. is sort of shutting down too kind of some some well, places are staying it's funny because like <laughs> since march especially like your average thai place is going to be doing better than a place that has like 40 dollar pasta dishes yeah the takeout is booming whatever. Yeah, I mean, and I think it kind of always was here, but like, I'm not going to pay, like, well, I'm not going to pay for any delivery because I can't fucking afford it, but I'm not going to pay Grubhub to deliver like some like fancy meal or something that I know is not going to still taste good by the time it gets to me. Right. I'm going to microwave it. Right. But Thai food. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. <laughs> That's going to oh, taste great. Yeah, like I can leave that on the counter for like 14 hours and it'll <laughs> still taste good. So whatever it is, like it, it's somehow like those, those sort of like bougie like restaurants and stuff mm. are probably hurting more and they have a super high overhead yeah so, sucks sucks to suck as my old boss used to say who had to shut her restaurant down because it was 40 dollars pasta dishes but anyways <laughs> yeah no i i kind of miss going to restaurants i guess oh, I do too, are, for sure. so, people are still doing it but um 
not as much yeah. i don't know Co- yeah COVID. I, I, i'd i'd like to go hang out in a dive bar um, yeah like yeah like covid fucking drink weird because i like i know on some degree they're like they're definitely like lying to us about a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. but at the same time like i know somebody who died of covid like i don't i, yeah. I really don't want to get it it's still like scary yeah. so it's this like in between like yeah it's world. not it's 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 just fucked because like there there is science with covid but that's not what the like you know the people in the, like saying what your city can and can't do right, right they're not basing it off of science they're basing it off of like certain interests yes exactly which really sucks so exactly. but anyways um but yeah i think the the restaurant thing is kind of like <laughs> during the summer our bars were open outside or to go and it's like you're not gonna pay for like a 17 dollar negroni <laughs> you're gonna get a fucking truly <laughs> Yeah. Right. Because you have to walk up and pay at it like the door. And so you're not going to be like, hey, would you mind mixing me up a little cocktail? You're going to be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I'm here. Please, can I just get one of those cans? Right. Right? And so it's the same thing with food. Like you're not going to go and unless, you know, Gavin Newsom, that's a whole other thing. So you're not going to go to like a fancy restaurant and dine inside. You're going to get like Denny's to go. Yeah. Anyways, we got to get more people on the left to talk about have shitty nonprofits are. We, we need, need like create... a really mean one. We need a mean person to talk about it because we're too nice. I can be meaner. <laughs> talk yeah. Give me, give me the opportunity. No, I'm, I'm pretty nice. I think I. And want... then we need, and then we need like a slight variation on it <laughs> to be really mean, and then we can all demonize that person, and we can have discourse about it. We can have anti-nonprofit versus anti-nonprofit hate discourse yeah the the, the different drama and you, <laughs> you already did the, the sexy nonprofit thing too so like yeah i already need, i already tried to some... do sexy <laughs> yeah hell nonprofit girl i said us too or whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> whatever the fucking joke is and yeah there's like the hell of trying to ever explain this to anybody who's not on twitter so oh i know like yeah that's so when i found i found another slices channel and I was so excited to talk to him. I probably sounded like a crazy person. I was like, oh my God, yeah, here's what's happening here. You won't believe this. Blah. And I was like, I just need to make my own video about this. Because yeah. you, do, you start to sound like um, conspiracy theory person. Um, no. And the more people that talk about it, the better. I don't care if someone mm-hmm. makes a video that's exactly like mine, but they just make it again. Just, we just need more people talking about it. Totally. The more, the better. And I don't know, maybe eventually there'll be like a fucking subreddit about it or something. I haven't been on Reddit in a long time. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of stopped going on there after a while, but, um, there was a Twitter account called the NPIC and he had like, you know, like 3000 followers or something, but then a bunch of nonprofit workers, people who are kind of superstars in the nonprofit industry, like he would dog on them a lot. And so they hated him. There was like a very angry relationship, you know, back and forth there. And they yeah. finally uncovered that he was, had his own nonprofit. So then they, they totally dogpiled and went after him mm-hmm. and like got him to delete his account. And I made a joke Dang. about it on Twitter. And then they came after me. Oh shit. Are we going to get a bunch of hate for making, am I going to get a hate for making this video? No. Cause they're not going to take the, no, they're, they're not going to take the time to watch videos and th- shit like that they oh. they just want to come hmm. after like 
I don't know. Maybe they will. I don't know. Fuck them though. Maybe that's good. I don't know. I, um, I've tried to unlearn marketing. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. I'm working on it. Uh, but I also, um, I was just going to say something. Oh yeah. I fucking love like the, just that phrase. Cause you guys are always talking about the, the revolution will not be funded. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's like the revolution will not be televised, but like, it's so true. And then yeah. like people keep trying to fund the revolution and I'm yeah. like, stop it. <laughs> right Please well we stop. need money to live yeah. so until yeah yeah i'm like confused as to how people are giving money away i have fucking no money yeah right i mean i told y'all about my rent <laughs> and I now know. i'm paying this rent with no job but i just get regular unemployment so that's fun yeah. yeah we'll figure it out start a non-profit <laughs> i was you messed up oh my God, i want to start a non-profit I want to start a nonprofit, but all of our PSAs are about being anti-nonprofit. <laughs> I like it. I'm going to donate to that. That doesn't make sense. Well, the people then I would never want. Yeah. Incite the people, the, the women of color that wrote uh, the revolution will not be funded. They are a nonprofit now and they're part of the allied media project, which is heavily tied in with Buffett. So uh, <laughs> they're like, they're, they're a group that can operates as a nonprofit. They're just doing it better. And like, everything turns into a non-profit. I don't think that it, neg- I don't think it, it negates their good ideas. It yeah. just undermines them a little. Right. Yeah. Well, right? yeah, it's, it's about the ideas. <laughs> but that sucks. That right. really fucking sucks. It makes their point stronger. I mean, every, even the people that wrote the book on like the revolution will not be funded. Like it's, it's about the systemic critique. Like they need money to live. So like, yeah. I'm not, not mad at them personally i'm mad you know mad at the the system so well, maybe that's what we need to start doing yeah, exactly. is leaning into our own hypocrisy and and saying like hypocrisy is not something that we can escape or avoid we're all going to be like hypocritical at some point because we live in a system that requires us to to do these things to live um yeah yeah yeah, you know what? This week I I tweeted something about how everyone needs to be deprogrammed, like the cult deprogrammers, deprogrammed from thinking we're all going to become millionaires. Yeah. Because we all grew up with this. It's like the American dream, but now it's like sort of a slightly newer version of that. And like right under that, I posted, I also do this. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I've always done this. My parents kind of like raised me with this mentality. I'm really working on it, kind of was my tweet. Right. And then like a day later, I realized someone had quote retweeted it and they kind of were like, I bet you fucking do this bitch. And I was like, yeah, I admitted that. Right. So I think it's important to admit your own hypocrisy like within the system. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like, you know, I'm not the fucking problem here. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You know, you're not not pretending that you're our best friends, but um, (laughs) yeah, that's my favorite thing to do on Twitter is to, I, I squash the beef. Cause if you're the person that squashes the beef, um, you're, you come out dominant, <laughs> right? You're a Twitter dom. You're like, cool. I forgive you. <laughs> I forgive you for subtweeting me. That is, that's <laughs> mag- like, shit. I, she sees everything. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's magnanimous. I like that. That's big. That's I think big that, that's how energy. I originally, that's, that's how I originally became pals with Rick Paulus. If he's listening to this is him <laughs> and I were, arguing and then after a couple tweets i think we realized we were on the same side that's awesome (laughs) and we were like oh okay (laughs) want to be friends that's fucking cool i love more of that 
Yeah. It's like a, yeah. It's like, oh, we started out hating each other and now we're in love. (laughs) (laughs) There was was just a chemistry there. That's why you were yelling at each other. Yeah, exactly. Like that, uh, that um, banter. Yeah. Right? Right. The, what, yeah, what's that (laughs) called? Isn't there a term for that? The something mm, like sexual tension <laughs> yes sexual tension That's, yeah you guys had sexual yeah. tension yeah we, on we had Twitter. sexual tension when we were disagreeing about i don't know it was like <laughs> homeless homelessness or something <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to the space commune podcast i'm fox i'm alex and today <laughs> and today we we've been speaking with kelgor kelgor trout who is hilarious on twitter she just started a youtube channel you should go check that out that's Um, very kind thank you she's kelgore on uh youtube yeah and subscribe to her channel on youtube and then click the little bell so you get notified every time (laughs) and like all the videos fucking bell yeah yeah. (laughs) smash that motherfucking like as we as we say on youtube I actually never tell people to, to, to do the bell because um, I don't do the bell. So Yeah, I'm not a bell person I feel like it's either. hypocritical. I did the bell for a while and I was like, wow, I don't need this. I constantly check YouTube. Yeah. So I really don't need the bell. Yeah, if you constantly check YouTube, don't ring the yeah. bell. Yeah, don't just check subscribe. The bell. Thank you. <laughs>